This is the Walking Home from the ICU podcast. I'm Kelly Dayton, a nurse practitioner and ICU consultant. I help teams create awake and walking ICUs through evidence-based sedation and mobility practices. By hearing from survivors, clinicians, and researchers, we'll explore how to give ICU patients the best chance to walk out of the ICU and go home to survive and thrive. Welcome to the ICU Revolution. Nancy, thank you so much for joining us. Nancy was the manager of this uh, medical surgical ICU for many years and has so much great experience as an ICU nurse herself and really built up and helped maintain the culture within the ICU. And so I'm so grateful, Nancy, that you'd come and share your experiences with us. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Tell us a little about your history in the ICU and how you came to be the manager. So my background, um, I was a thoracic ICU nurse for years. And then as my kids were small, I did a little bit of everything and ended up the nursing supervisor of this hospital. And I, um, as I would go from unit to unit to unit, um, the ICU was the place where I was obviously very drawn to because that was my background in thoracic. Mm-hmm. And so I would come and help the nurses and then a manager position came open and they said, you should apply. And I never had thought before that I would be an ICU manager, but that's just it. I thought, okay, maybe I should. And I did. And the rest is history. And what was it like to transition not only to that role, but to this culture, you'd come from a different ICU that had a different focus and different kind of patient population to a different unit that had a different vision. What was it like to, for you to shift that perspective and then maintain that culture? So thoracic ICU taking care of post-op heart patients. I mean, it's very surgical mm-hmm. and oftentimes, you know, very protocol driven. And um, I, you you had a, you got a schedule every day of what was coming through the door, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this was different. I you know had worked in a big hospital where this you know the medical surgical ICU was part of that hospital, but those were patients that I really didn't uh, interface with very often. So coming to this was different and unique in the types of patients that we saw and the journey that the patients had before. It wasn't something that they signed up for like heart surgery or, you know, sometimes our heart surgeries were, okay, we're going to schedule this a week out. Your surgery will be on Tuesday. We could prepare them for it. But the patients that were, you know, coming to med search was different. They had gotten very sick, deteriorated to the point that they needed the ICU. So that was a little bit, that was different for me. And when you realize that these patients were not comatose on the ventilator, what was that like? And what was it like to see them up and walking? What were your first impressions? I remember hearing, so back when I started nursing in 93, I heard about our ARDS patients and um, the great things that our hospital and our organization was doing with the ARDS patients, but I knew that they oftentimes were long-term patients that they spent months in the ICU and then would end up going to a long-term care facility after. 
Um, I remember one of my first moments in this ICU where a patient came through, was admitted, and the patient was on, you know, in the 20s on PEEP Mm -hmm. and 100% oxygen, obvious ARDS, and came in via life flight. And then um, I think the patient had been here for about an hour and the team had him up walking. And that patient ended up getting out of the ICU in just a couple of days. And they had come in on 20 plus peep. And I remember thinking, okay, how is this possible? Yeah. (laughs) So it was pretty amazing to see that and to see I mean, also to see what it took to say, we're not going to sedate this patient. We're just going to get them up and walk them. And they came in sedated from having flown in, been flown in. So, Did it scare you at first? Did you see this team being um, intimidated by that situation? Um, I did not see the team (laughs) be intimidated by the situation. Mm -hmm. What I was amazed with was the passion that the nurses had, that they just did it. And I had come from ICUs and seen ICUs where it was like, oh, we have to get our patient up, you know, Uh we're going to sit them at the edge of the bed. I mean, it was such a chore and, you know, they were usually so sedated that you couldn't have even tried to stand them up, you know, but you would sit them and rub their back and change their bedding and get them back in the bed. I, I just couldn't believe like these were things that nurses avoided and here nurses were running to it, not avoiding it. And so that was quite unique. Um, Brandy made an interesting comparison that this was just as important as an antibiotic. Oh yeah. That, and that's how they see it. They see that this is a life preserving and saving um, intervention. Yeah. And yeah. even, and especially in extreme cases with a peep of 20 on a hundred percent. Yeah. And, and the nurses take that on. Like they know that and they know that's their responsibility and it's just part of their day. And despite being so busy and sometimes having patients that are still very weak and it takes a team Mm -hmm. to walk them, they didn't skip it. Like this was, this was part of a patient's routine in this ICU. And that was years ago. And that is still a very unique practice and perspective and culture but ICUs are ICUs. You don't keep the same staff for 30 years, except there were a lot of nurses that have been there for 20, almost 30 years. I mean, they, they knew their stuff and they were there for so long because of the culture there. Yet you still had people coming in and out. So when you have nurses coming in from elsewhere with a different perspective and practice, how did you as a manager handle that? Or how did you determine staffing in a way to preserve that culture? So um, hiring was, um, was something that I think it's, it's an art, and I think we perfected it here. <laughs> um, I think that we, uh, and it was because we always interviewed, usually as a team, and, um, and literally we would, it was the same people that, we, that would interview everybody new that came in, and one of the things that we talked about was culture. And it was very much a part of the interview process to talk about how we don't sedate our patients here 
and we, we keep our patients comfortable and we take care of their pain, but we don't sedate them and we ambulate all of our patients. And so that was something that we said to everybody who interviewed and we said, it is hard work. And so physically hard mm-hmm. yeah. also. And um, we wanted them to, to go into that eyes wide open. Like yeah. this is not, this is not going to be a job where you can sit back and, and manage drips, you know, on a patient, yeah. but this is a job where you will, you will be physically tired at the end of the day. What kind of responses did you get when you would say that? Um, most people would say, that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of times, and well, those are the people that you wanted to hire, yeah. right? Like it was those kind of responses. I don't remember um, those we don't, didn't hire. I uh-huh. remember the great hires we had. Right. And uh, it's funny because we had amazing team here, but our new hires, um, they would say, I'm up for it. You know, I, I remember... <laughs> you know, one nurse in particular, um, who was just like, I can do it. I do spin classes every morning. <laughs> and like, you know, I teach spin and I can do this. And, and, and that was the person that we, that we brought to the team. Yeah. Well, I, this is my first nursing job as a nurse and I didn't know anything. And I remember you specifically asked me, will you walk patients on ventilators? And I didn't really know what that meant, but I was like, oh yeah, totally. I, I could be all about that, whatever that is. But I saw that you, you sometimes hired people that didn't have all the experience, though experience is so valuable, but you've hired people that were going to be willing and passionate to do it. How did you know? Well, since my time as IC manager, I don't think I knew then what I was doing. (laughs) Now I think I know better what worked and and because of learning more about leadership itself. Mm -hmm. And, um, we built a team of leaders here and we hired for values. We hired people that came in passionate about taking care of people. And part of taking care of people was the whole person and knowing that they came in with this huge passion and such strong um, dedication to taking care of the whole person. Then it was easy for them to do the right thing and ambulate the patients because that was truly what was going to help the patient walk out of here and have a, a long, fruitful life afterwards. Literally walk out of here. Literally walk out of here. Yeah. 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 If you've been listening to this podcast, you're likely convinced that sedation and mobility practices in the ICU need to change. The ICU community is facing incredible difficulty with the trauma from the pandemic, staffing crisis, and burnout. We cannot afford to continue practices that result in poor patient outcomes, more time in the ICU, higher healthcare costs, and greater workload for the ICU team. Yet the prospect of changing decades of beliefs, practices, and culture across all disciplines of the ICU is a daunting task. How does this transformation start? It can begin with a consultation with me to discuss your team's current practices, barriers, and to formulate a plan to help your ICU become an awake and walking ICU. I help teams master the ABCDEF bundle through education, consulting, simulation training, and bedside support. Let's work together to move your team into the future of evidence-based ICU care. Click the link in the show notes of this episode to find out more.
and how has this impacted your personal life, this kind of perspective? So, um, I, I mean, I'd love to share the personal example yeah. my, with my mom. Um, I think uh, I, I learned a lot uh, from our nurse practitioners and the physicians who really helped educate us and, and, and really drive this mission home. This was our, um, um, it kind of became just part of who we were and everyone became like these passionate advocates for this. And um, I was still managing in the ICU and I got a phone call that my mom was, um, my mom and dad were traveling. She's in her seventies at the time. And, um, and they had pulled off to this very small hospital in a very small town and she was diagnosed with urosepsis. And just in a few short hours, she ended up on a ventilator and levofed and epinephrine and they were gonna fly her to a bigger hospital. So I um, immediately got on a plane and met them and met basically right after the plane landed. I was there as they were, the team was around my mom trying to figure out what they were going to do. And uh, they had her on a lot of fentanyl at the time and she was intubated and on maxed out on levofed and epinephrine. Um, and I, and the doctor basically said, we don't, we're doing, we've done everything. She's pretty much maxed out on all of her vasopressors. There's not really much more that we can do. And I just don't know that she's going to make it. And uh, I said, why don't we turn the sedation down? And he said, well, we don't really like to do that. We, she's, she's intubated. We want to keep her sedated. And I said, I, I, I want you to turn the sedation down. Mm -hmm. He said, I come from an ICU and I, and I was, I would be right out there with like who I was. Yeah. I didn't want to be that way. Yeah. I didn't want to be that nurse, but I knew I had to advocate for my it. mom and yeah. I couldn't help that. And so I said, you know what, in RIC, we don't intubate these patients that come in. I mean, we don't sedate them. And I said, we, we, and he really hesitated. They allowed to back up and she started to kind of wake up and it made him nervous and they wanted to go back up on it. And I said, no, no, don't. I want you to come, like, we'll, we'll keep her calm. We'll walk, we'll get her through this. And um, she, the uh, leave fed started coming down, the epi started coming down. Uh, we basically turned the fentanyl off. Uh -huh. And, um, and then my brothers and I stayed with her from the net through the night. And in the middle of the night, I, she had to go to the bathroom. She, I could tell she needed to, to go to the bathroom. She's still intubated. And so I called the nurse and said, can we get her up to the toilet? And they said, well, we'll bring in a bedpan. And I said, well, we can get her up to the toilet. And they didn't come for a bit. So I told my brother, we're getting her up to the toilet. <laughs> so we did. And the nurse came in and there was my mom sitting on the you know, toilet with a, it intubated. And I think it blew them away. Uh -huh. um, and oh, I it mean, terrified them. It, it terrified. I mean, they really just didn't know. I'm sure I yeah. was driving them crazy. But um, but the reality was my mom got extubated the next day and she was out of the ICU the very next morning. Wow. And she, um, and everybody was like, tell me more about, tell me more about where you're coming from. And, and I was telling them what all about the work food? we did. Yeah, and, um, they had lifts in every single one of their room to walk the patients. And I said, I would give anything to have a lift for every one of our rooms. And they said, uh, oh, we don't use those. I said, what do you mean? <laughs> you have no idea how lucky you are. <laughs> but we don't get our patients out of bed. They it's didn't not get relevant. Their, they said yeah. they, didn't, they didn't walk any of their ICU patients. 
And so the next morning when she was discharged, they brought a bed to transfer her to the room. They were going to just transfer her on the bed. And I said, no, she'll walk. And they said, no, no, we can't do that. And I said, she'll walk out of ICU. And we walked her to her room and um, she was weak, but, and the, the orderly that helped us, he said, I have never, ever seen a patient walk out of the ICU. And I said, every one of the patients can walk out of this ICU. You have to just not sedate them and keep them walking. Don't take away their capacity to walk. Yeah. And they don't stop walking. Yeah. And she is 81 years old and doing great. And, you know, I just, I'm so thankful and grateful that I had had this experience. I would never have known to advocate for that had I not seen it from my own eyes, seen the power of what we did. And I knew that I just knew it was the right thing. That was the right thing to do. Wow. That's profound. And truly, I mean, when patients are admitted to the ICU, they are at our mercy, mm-hmm. the mercy of our experiences, our culture, our practices. If they knew that their outcomes would be so different if they were awake and walking, they would do it. The families yeah. would advocate for it, but no one knows to do that. Yeah. So that, what a blessing to be able to change that situation so much from being kind of almost written off to walking out the next yeah. day. We had to teach, I remember as a manager, I mean, we watching the nurses teach the patients and, you know, they would say, no, I don't want to walk. Mm-hmm. I, and it was, no, it's not an answer. <laughs> now we're into minutes. But we taught people why they didn't always like it. No. But if they knew the alternative, yeah, like you said, they would do it in a heartbeat. Yeah. Um. What are some of the obstacles that you've seen in maintaining the culture within the staff? I think the obstacles come with um, changing priorities. Uh, as as I mean, healthcare is changing so fast. Charting, electronic medical records, all of that is changing so fast and takes more time, and so. The challenge is um, taking care of your staff so that they can keep doing this hard work because in addition to everything else they're trying to keep up with, um, to keep them walking the patients and keep that at the forefront, the why we are here at the Mm -hmm. forefront despite some of the challenge, you know, things that make it more challenging. When you spend more time charting in the electronic medical record, that's time that you could be walking your patients. And it takes a team. So coordination of care is also very important. Coordinating with families, coordinating with the team, coordinating with the physical therapy, and, um, and, and always educating the entire hospital to what we're trying to do so that if changes are made in other parts of the hospital, like physical therapy or pharmacy or, you know, we – things are changing organizationally all the time, but to make sure that all of those areas understand the work that we're doing here so that the changes that are made don't impact our ability to continue to do this. Yeah. I, I kind of forgot about that aspect. I remember years ago, it was a constant struggle. We would send patients that we had worked so hard to keep mobile and strong and, um, and we'd send them to the floor and they would stop walking 
And so they would get weak, their secretion clearance would get poor, they would develop new pneumonia or worse pneumonia, and they would end up back to us. I don't see that anymore. I really That's awesome. hardly That's ever see that. And I, I know that it's because the culture on the floors have changed. Mm-hmm. The oncology floor has like a, I don't, I can't speak to it, but like, it's like a, a marathon program where they track how far they're walking and accumulates over time and they have big celebrations for hitting a marathon or more. I mean, just the culture has changed and that has changed the readmission rates. Yeah. So we couldn't just do this alone. We were, you know, keeping our patients strong, but we'd send them to the floor and they would go backwards. Yeah. But that doesn't happen anymore because of the collaboration. Yeah. Yeah. And the education, the, you know, that our physicians, I think are also a big driver in that because they spend their time educating others, the patients that they follow out to the floor. Mm -hmm. They, they continuously are are educating. It's unique to have such an interdisciplinary approach to this, you know, where nurses, physicians, therapists, everybody working together. We have the same vision, the same, the same goal purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and now that you've, you've transitioned to more of an administrative role, um, what has happened to your perspective or what have you learned since? I, um, the power of that interdisciplinary approach, I think is huge. And I think my passion for patient safety and high reliability all came from working in this environment. And also, um, you know, I remember when I first came here that the nurse practitioners would say things, you know, they'd talk about evidence-based care, like this ambulation was evidence-based. Yeah. I didn't know what they were talking about because I didn't have that education. Right. I didn't know either. And they probably didn't know that I didn't know. They had forgotten that they learned that getting their (laughs) master's degree. Right. Right. And, and that just is one of those things. Like it's, it's one of the biases, you know, that we, that we form that, Oh, they should know this. Well, we didn't go to school for that. So after I, I left the ICU, I ended up going back and getting my master's and all of a sudden I was like, Oh, evidence-based care. (laughs) And I think what that did for me though, is now as I teach others and help other leaders, it's for them to, to remember those biases that we create, that we have and to, to remember that, that, you know, when we talk about evidence-based practice, when we're trying to drive forward some of these amazing things, mm-hmm. people may not really know what we're talking about. And so we have to, we have to give them, what is that, yeah. right? It's the next level. We really have to get below that, you know, and kind of go back in time to when we didn't remember and figure out how do I get them from here to there, you know? Sometimes we assume that people won't do it yeah, or that they can't do it or they don't do it because of malicious intent or because they're too lazy or things like that. But I think you're right. It becomes all about understanding. I genuinely believe if nurses and the whole team, if they understand the why, the big picture of everything, they understand that they can get patients to walk out of the ICU and go home. Yes. Then they will find how it will happen. Yes but we can't just assume that it makes sense. It's all about understanding. Yeah. And I think there's one piece of advice I would give to any manager or any nurse practitioner or any physician trying to lead these efforts 
it, it is not to put those labels on people that they're lazy, mm -hmm. that they, that they don't care that they, you know, they just want to, they're just want to punch in, punch out, you know, those are, that's not true. Yeah. I believe. And I think that was the other part here is I believe that every single person has the potential to be the best that they can be and do the best that they can do, but you have to give them the tools, the knowledge, the skills, and the ability to do that. And, um, so recognize that we've had such an amazing opportunity to know what we know. How do we help others know that same thing so that they can have that same passion? I love it. And I think everyone gets in the medical field because they want to help patients go on to thrive in their lives. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. You're welcome. If you want to join in on the conversation, Leave a voicemail at 801-784-0472 or reach out to me on Twitter. Schedule a consultation for your ICU, as well as find supportive resources such as the free ebook, case studies, episode citations, and transcripts. Please check out the website www.daytoniceconsulting.com.